Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Scarb Show. I am your host, Andrew Scarborough. You are tuned in live from Salt Lake City. We have a lot to catch up from from the last couple of weeks. So let's get right into this podcast, baby. Let's do it and let's go. All right, everybody, welcome to the Scarb Show. And like I said, we've been away for the last couple of weeks because I've been very busy. But, you know, the sports world don't stop. So let's get right into it. First off, we're going to start off with we now have a new Super Bowl champion as the Kansas City Chiefs have now won the Super Bowl, beating the San Francisco 49ers. And what a game it was. This game went into double overtime. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, great game. It started off kind of bad, um, but, you know, then the game finished out pretty well. You, you could tell at the beginning of the game both sides were, you know, trying to what what's the word trying to figure themselves out and trying to figure each team out and you could see that with the sloppy pit play at the beginning of the game but eventually as the game went on they eventually figured it out and man what an ending it was as the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Niners 25 to 22 in overtime of the Super Bowl and I mean, this almost went to double overtime. This game was electric. There were so many, so many great plays, so such good performances by both defenses. I mean, uh, Brock Purdy looked flustered all game. Patrick Mahomes looked flustered all game. I mean, fumbles left and right um, from both sides. So really, the defenses won this game, and ultimately, the Kansas City Chiefs defense held on. Um, But, you know... That's just how it is. The Kansas City Chiefs, man, they're just that good. Um, winning two Super Bowls in a row and looking for a three-peat this year. And you could tell you could tell Brock Purdy, the quarterback for the Niners, you could tell he still was just too young, too young to win a Super Bowl. I mean, you, you could tell the inexperience and, and the pressure that was on him during the whole game. Even before the game, you could see it in his face like, man, this got real. You could see the pressure on Brock Purdy's face, and you could just tell because of how young he was, how inexperienced he was. Patrick Mahomes, he's been here before, and he's won it before. So this was just another game to him pretty much. I mean, obviously, this is bigger than just a game. This is what makes legends or what separates the good players from legends. And Patrick Mahomes is now a legend. Even if he retired today, the man would be a legend. I mean... Being in four out of the five last Super Bowls in the last five years, that's all you got to know. Winning a couple MVPs, you know, just being one of the best quarterbacks ever um, and leading all these magnificent comebacks. So you could tell there was a difference there. Patrick Mahomes looked ready. He looked like he was calm, ready. And Brock Purdy, on the other hand, looked like he was just, you know, inexperienced, flustered, nervous. And, you know, that's natural when you're a young quarterback, but... You know, give credit where credit is due. Brock Purdy in his second year led this Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft, led this Super Bowl, led the Niners of the Super Bowl in his second year. I mean, how many other quarterbacks have done that in the history of the NFL? That you led your team that you were drafted with the very last pick in the NFL draft just two years ago, two years later, you win, you 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 lead your team to the Super Bowl and almost win it. You came so close, came up so close. But the main thing that separated this game from losers and winners was Patrick Mahomes. Like I said, the Niners defense, you know, was killing him all game, was, you know, frustrating. 
uh, the Chiefs' offense all game. You could tell Kelsey was frustrated yelling at Andy Reid in the middle of the game. Um, it was just a frustrating day for the Kansas City Chiefs' offense. But when you have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, anything is possible. And it showed that, you know, anything is possible with Patrick Mahomes. Going down the field twice in the fourth quarter, going all the way down the field to kick a game-tying field goal by Harrison Bucker with time running out to send it to overtime. And then, you know, the Niners took the ball first in overtime. They went down the field, kicked a field goal, and it was either score or lose the Super Bowl for Patrick Mahomes. And what do you think Patrick Mahomes is going to do? Patrick Mahomes not only went down the whole field once, but he went down the field twice in overtime to score a touchdown as time was expiring in overtime. This game almost went to double overtime. As time was expiring, scored a touchdown, gave it to the former Chief who left during the offseason to go to the New York Jets and then came back in the middle of the season via trade. Miko Hardman, little short pass, dump pass to the right. And, you know, the rest is history, scored the touchdown. Chiefs are now, you know, Super Bowl champions once more. And like I said, this was a great game. It started off horrible, but it finished off as one of the best Super Bowls ever. And, you know, somebody's got to stop the Chiefs there, man. They're just that good. They're just, him and Kelsey are the best quarterback tight end duo since Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady were. And possibly even better. I mean, you just, it's hard to compare the two. But, you know, the GOAT legacy on both of those sides is now becoming more looking like Kelsey and Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes has a lot more Super Bowl to win, Super Bowls to win to catch Brady. But, man, Kelsey's already setting records and becoming, if not the best tight end ever, one of the best tight end in the NFL. I mean, and he's close to retirement. He's at, like, I think he's 34 years old now, somewhere in that range. So we, we ain't going to experience much more Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes um, only for possibly a couple more years, you know, and now Patrick Mahomes has reached his 30s, so I'm sure he'll play at least another 10 years. So, but Kelsey, on the other hand, I could see maybe another five years, but we'll see. But the Chiefs are now Super Bowl champions once more, and they will be looking to 3 P next year as the Super, the Super Bowl next year will be in New Orleans, um, Louisiana, and man, what a party town it is in New Orleans, I've heard, to go to the Super Bowl. Not only the f one of the best places to visit, but one of the best places to be when the Super Bowl is around. It's, it's, it's already known to be party central in New Orleans, but when the Super Bowl comes around, it's even 10 times more that. So, I mean, if, if prices, ticket prices would go down, I would definitely attend, but I don't know if I can spend $10,000 on a Super Bowl ticket, if I'm being honest. I love football. I love my Denver Broncos, but I don't know if I love them that much. But pray, praying that somebody can beat these Chiefs in the AFC and hopefully my Denver Broncos. What we'll see. We now head into the offseason as it is officially the NFL offseason with the NFL draft here in just less than two months away, April 25th. And free agency starts up here in a couple weeks. So it's going to be a very interesting, interesting offseason. There's going to be a lot of quarterbacks moving a lot of players, key players, very good players moving in free agency and via trade. So everybody strap in because it's going to be a wild offseason. And then the NFL draft, we have five high caliber quarterbacks projected to go in the first top 10 picks of this draft. So teams 
are going to be making moves. And we're going to see some very interesting moves, not only in free agency, but in the NFL draft and leading up to the NFL draft. All right, moving on. As in other news, we have now concluded NBA All-Star Weekend just this past week. And we saw a lot of you know great things happen during this weekend, as we always do. Um, the first round of games will be played tonight, uh, February 22nd. So we will start the second half of the NBA season tonight with only 30-ish games to go. Um, the playoffs are around the corner. But to conclude on the NBA All-Star Game, we had the East taking on the West All-Stars with the East coming out on top, winning 211 to 186 in the NBA All-Star Game with Damian Lillard becoming the NBA All-Star MVP and also winning the NBA three-point contest. So what a great weekend for Damian Lillard it was. Um, Obviously, you know, wasn't surprised he won the MVP. Dude was shooting half quarters and draining them in the NBA All-Star game and then just looked absolutely dynamic in the NBA three-point contest. So very much well-deserving for Damian Lillard on both of those awards to add to his legacy. Not that really All-Star, you know, All-Star selections matter more than All-Star MVPs, but, you know, it's it, it helps your legacy even more. And Damian Lillard already has a resume All he needs to add to his resume now is an NBA championship, which I hope he gets with the Milwaukee Bucks here soon because, man, I would hate to see him retire without a championship ring. But it was a great weekend overall. You know, Indiana had a great crowd, great atmosphere. They did the skills and three-point contests and all that stuff at the Lucas Oil Stadium where the Indianapolis Colts play. Um, A lot of events are held there, including – this year's NFL Combine, which starts up here in about a week, I believe, week or two. Um, that is always there at Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. So now they're adding even more events, bringing in the NBA to this. But they did play the NBA All-Star Game at the Pacers Arena. Um, I forgot what it's called. It's like Fieldhouse something. But anyways, it was a great weekend overall. Love to see the NBA All-Star Weekends. My favorite All-Star Weekend out of all the sports. Um, you know, dunk contest was great. Mac McClung taking, you know, winning the dunk contest once more, winning back-to-back years, very much well-deserving. That that dude can jump. For, for a white boy, man, he got white. He sure don't got white boy hops, bro. Like, dude can fly and dude can jump, man. And it's crazy what Mac McClung can do. He is stuck in the G League right now, so I'm hoping the Orlando Magic will sign him to a, at least a two-way deal. Um, but you know, you gotta be a, you gotta do a lot more in the NBA than just be able to dunk. So that's what, that's what separates the players that make the NBA and don't, they can do all assets. They can pass, they can shoot, they can dunk, they can, you know, do what they do. Um, and then also being tall helps. I mean, there has been some short NBA players, but being tall really helps as well. But like I said, great all-star weekend, great atmosphere in Indiana. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every aspect of it, and man, I really hope next year we can get a dunk contest that includes Ja Morant, Zion Williamson, um, who else would, LeBron James even in that thing would be great, Um, and then possibly another high flyer around the league, maybe Anthony Edwards, Um, 
I mean, those those are some options for the NBA dunk contest next year. Because, um, you know, the last couple of years, they, they've had good players, but they've had a lot of bench players, you know. They've, they've had a lot of players that aren't starters that a lot of people don't know about. So it would be nice to bring some high flyers and some flashy dudes that know how to dunk and also who are very popular NBA players and well-known amongst NBA fans. So I think that would improve the dunk contest because it has been eh the last couple of years. I mean, if, we, if you take out Mac McClung, it really isn't that great of an event over the last couple of years. But, you know, Mac McClung helps. Even put Mac McClung up against him because now people know who Mac McClung is just because of his dunk contest wins. So, you know, but I'm not taking away from it. It was a great, great all-star event, great all-star weekend. Um, all the celebs popped out, so I'm not bashing it. But I'd like to see a little bit more changes. I love the Steph Curry versus Sabrina Ionescu three-point shootout. That was great, bringing the WNBA and NBA together. Um Hopefully, possibly, we could see that again next year with Sabrina Ionescu and Steph Curry teaming up together, possibly going up against future first overall pick in this year's WNBA draft, Caitlin Clark, and possibly Damian Lillard, who I believe is the second best shooter in the NBA behind Stephen Curry. So just an idea for the NBA. If you know anybody that works at the NBA or has can give detail to the NBA, Send them my way. Let them know that I provided these suggestions and hope to see some changes next year. But anyways, other than that, great All-Star weekend. And, you know, I enjoy it every year. Moving on to other sports news over the last week as we now concluded one of the biggest races in NASCAR to start and kick off the NASCAR season. The Daytona 500 was concluded this last Sunday with a new winner this year um, as the new winner this year was not only then Hendrick Motorsports uh, driver William Byron took the Daytona 500 and what a wild race it was. I mean, this was a great race from the start. You know, we, were, we, we started off the race and then the first 10 laps in, we saw a wreck, um, which took out a couple of cars. But other than that, it was a clean race throughout the whole entire 500 laps. I mean, it was back and forth, uh, good racing, good clean racing, lots of uh, stage winners. And then ultimately, the last 30 laps saw the big one happen, as it always does, as on the final eight laps, I believe, I think it was lap number eight, um, we did eventually see the big one. And if you don't know what the big one is, the big one is like a slang for uh, the Daytona 500 when the big wreck happens, kind of. Like it's kind of a uh, a metaphor for when the biggest wreck of the race happens. So they call it the big one, and it was, it was a big one. It was a very big wreck. As we saw Alex Bowman in the purple number eight car, take out Ross Chastain um, and pretty much, you know, wiped out Ross Chastain and took out the entire field behind him. Ross Chastain was leading the entire, almost the entire last half of the race. It looked like Ross Chastain could possibly win the race and win the Daytona 500 um, as he has done once before. Um, 
But, you know, things happen. When they start getting three wide and it starts coming down to the final 10 laps, people start getting pushy. Drivers start getting pushy. Drivers start getting aggressive to not only win the race, but to put themselves in good positions to win points. Um, and if you don't know what points are in NASCAR, points mean that it's, it's like a, it's a point system pretty much that each driver gets to hopefully make the NASCAR playoffs at the end of the season, which is usually around, uh, I want to say August, September. Um, but drivers, you know, they get points based off their positions on what on each race that they finish. So if you win the race, you get a crap ton of points. If you take last points, you pretty much get zero. Excuse me. If you take last place, you pretty much get zero points. So it's really a big point system that leads up to the playoffs. It's different than any other sports. It's pretty much, well, it's, it's kind of different. It's not a record that gets you into the playoffs, but it's a point system that gets you into the playoffs. And the final 16 drivers, there's only 16 drivers out of the, I believe, 30-something cars that make the playoffs at the end of the year. And then eventually, as the playoffs go, each week, four players are eliminated um, so it goes from 16 to 12 to 8 to 4 to the last two single drivers that will, you know, pretty much win the whole entire NASCAR championship. And uh, you're trying to be one of those final 16 drivers at the end of the year. So you try to rack up as many points as you can during the year in the regular season races, supposedly, how to say that. Um, you try to rack up as many points as you can to make the playoffs at the end of the year. So... Like I mentioned, you know, drivers get aggressive at the end of the race because they're not only trying to win the race for themselves, but they're also trying to put their team and their car in the best finish possible to earn the most amount of points for that race. I mean, of course, everybody wants to win the race every time, but you don't win every single race in NASCAR. It's just impossible to. These are the best drivers in all of the world. Um, so it's it's imp- it's not impossible, but it's very hard to win a lot of races in NASCAR. Um, so you know you got to know that you're trying to win the race every time, but you got to know that you're trying to finish in the best place you can every single race. But anyways, leading up to that, Ross Chastain was leading the final last eight laps. Looked like he was possibly going to win it, and then Alex Bowman bumped him, and push goes to shove. Those cars, when they're going 200 miles an hour, it doesn't take much push to spin them out and make them go up in the air and crash everything. Um, but they sp- he spun Ross Chastain. Chastain went back, took out the enti- pretty much the entire field, literally. That's why they call it the big one. He literally took out, I think maybe like five cars made it through. And out of the other 30 cars, the other 25 were involved in the wreck some way or another. Eventually, they sorted it all out, um, had a, you know, like a 20-minute delay to make sure the drivers were okay and that the racers and all the cars were, you know, good to go still um, and to also, you know, repair some bad minor repairs that aren't going to totally knock them out of the race. So push comes to shove. At the end of it, I believe we ended with like 18, uh, 18 racers, so only 12 of them really were totally just unable to come back out and race. And that pushed William Byron up to the front of the pack. It was between him and Allmendinger, A.J. Allmendinger. Um, 
also Alex Bowman. You also had Kyle Busch in that mix in the top five, and what a finish it was. And, you know, congratulations to William Byron. Very much well-deserving. He is a very well-known racer, a very successful racer. Not as successful as the big guys, you know, like Jeff Gordon, Denny Hamlin, um, Kyle Busch, um, Dale Earnhardt, you know. But he is a very well-known driver, and he is a very successful driver. And to see him win his first Daytona 500 what made it all the better and a very well-deserving driver to win it. Unfortunately, I wish we could have seen Ross Chastain win it, but, you know, that's the, that's the nature of the sport, man. you got to finish all 500 laps, and sometimes your, your race will end at the beginning or it will end right at the end, and that's the case that happened for Ross Chastain. Um, unfortunately, you know, hopefully they can win it next here in a couple of months because the NASCAR season starts at the Daytona 500 in February every year and then also finishes at Daytona, Florida at the Daytona 500 at the end of the year. So they race this race twice a year. And so you have your second chance to redeem yourself. But man, it is tough to win the Daytona 500. It is the biggest race in all of NASCAR all of NASCAR, pretty much, literally the biggest race. If you win this race, you are, you become a legend almost instantly. I mean, you are put down in hist- in the history books of so many legends because it is so hard to win the Daytona 500, and it is the big. It's the Super Bowl of the NASCAR, pretty much. Instead of the Super Bowl being at the end of the year, they put the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year to start the season, and that is the Daytona 500 for NASCAR. It is the Super Bowl for NASCAR. So very much well-deserving. Congratulations to William Byron, and we'll see who wins it next. It's going to be very interesting off-season or NASCAR season, um, and there's going to be a lot of great races ahead. All right, in other quick news, before we end this podcast, we're going to bounce around to some bigger things that also happened this week that I want to cover on this podcast. So starting off as today, actually, February 22nd, 2024, we have seen some signings over the, la- over the last couple of weeks in the MLB, and one of the biggest players in free agency has now come off the board as former shortstop for the Chicago White Sox, Tim Anderson, and one of my personally one of my favorite players in the Major League Baseball, has signed a one-year deal with the Miami Marlins. I believe it was around the $5 million mark. So this is a deal... Um, it's kind of a prove-it deal um, with the Miami Marlins for Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson has been one of the best, I, I shouldn't say one of the most electric, but one of the best consistent shortstops in baseball over the last couple of years. And Duke can be electric when he wants to. I mean, it was gr- I love Tim Anderson. I love how he plays the game. I love how clutch he can be at times. Um, I love his flashiness. And, you know, he's, he's, I don't know, he's just one of my favorite players in the MLB. Um, I wish he would have stayed with his original team with the Chicago White Sox, but this is a great landing spot for him in Miami who desperately need a shortstop after losing Joey Wendell this offseason. So a great pickup for Miami and a great pickup for him after losing a couple of pieces as they also lost their superstar power-hitting left fielder Jorge Soler to the San Francisco Giants this offseason. So they're trying to you know rebuild this team that they had from last year. But he's going to be a great pairing with Luis Arias, the second baseman for the Miami Marlins. So I'm excited for this signing, and I'm excited for Tim Anderson. 
Um, like I said, not only because he's one of my favorite players, but this is a good signing for the Miami Marlins, who have been making some noise over the last couple of years and who have also made the playoffs a couple of years. They just need a little bit better pitching because I still do believe they have a very good roster on their hands. But I think the pitching suffers at times. But overall, this is a great signing for the Miami Marlins, and I love to see Tim Anderson go to South Beach and hopefully turn that franchise around or help them turn that franchise around, I should say. All right, and then in other news as well, um, Caitlin Clark, who I mentioned earlier, um, the point guard for Iowa basketball, women's basketball, just broke the NCAA women's scoring record the other night by scoring her 3,500 career point, passing Kelsey Plum, who currently plays um, I believe she used to play for the Las Vegas Aces. She might be um, on the New York Liberty now. Let me double check that. No, she is currently still on the Las Vegas Aces. Um, so Caitlin Clark recorded her 3,500 point, beating Kelsey Plum's um, NCAA women's record and very much well-deserving. Like I said, she's going to go number one overall in this year's WNBA draft. It's going to probably look like she's going to go to the Indiana Fever. So I, I believe they have the first pick in the WNBA draft this year. Um, but, man, this girl is electric in college, and I wouldn't doubt it if she comes right out the bat being electric in the WNBA as well because, you know, she is looking like the next great WNBA player. She, she's pretty much like the Stephen Curry of women's basketball in college right now. If you know who Stephen Curry is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Caitlin Clark is Stephen Curry. I mean, she really just is electric. Her shooting's great. Her handles are great. And girl can score in bunches. I mean, really, she can score in bunches. I believe she scored like 49 points the other night to break the record. Um, so that just proves to you. And that's not the only time she scored 40 or more points. I mean, like I said, this girl can score in bunches. And she's going to be a great addition to the Indiana Fever. All right, everybody, we are coming towards the end of this podcast. This was a kind of a quick catch-up podcast, but you know I come in clutch every week to deliver the news around the sports world for you guys. So before we end this podcast, we are going to do our daily fun fact of the day before we end all of our podcasts. So the fun fact of the day on the Scarb Show on February 22nd, 2024 is... Former, or I should say Hall of Famer, Wayne Gretzky won seven MVPs in a row. Seven from 1980 to 1987. He won the MVP award in the NHL for seven straight years. You know how hard it is to win just one MVP? He went and won seven in a row and had eight total in his career. So, I mean... You talk about the goats in hockey. I mean, you have Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, uh, Mark Messier, uh, Lemieux. I mean, all the greats. But, you know, the stats prove the goat who the goat is. And I still believe Wayne Gretzky. Don't get me wrong. All those other players I mentioned were great players or are great players. But, I mean, the stats back it up. Wayne Gretzky winning seven MVPs in a row. Just, just solidifies that he is the GOAT of the NHL. So very, very shocking, interesting fact, but not surprised at all because, like I said, Wayne Gretzky, 
was one of the best, if not the best hockey player ever. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that fun fact of the day. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, I will try to be a little bit more consistent on my episodes. Like I said, sometimes life gets in the way, we get busy, but you know, I try to deliver for you guys every week. So hang with me, hang tight. And I appreciate you guys tuning in every single episode. And I appreciate all the following and all the likes. And I appreciate all the support every time I post one of these episodes. So thank you guys to the fans. You guys are the ones that keeps this episode, this podcast going. So thank you guys again. And then thank you guys again for tuning into the Scarb Show. We are live from Salt Lake City. I am your host, Andrew Scarborough. And this has been the Scarb Show. And we will see you guys next week.